Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, it is Thursday. It is the end of a holiday shortened week. And I certainly have a lot to talk about. You know, a lot goes on in just two days. I mean, first of all, this morning, uh, we were greeted to the news of basically a brand new uh, $2.3 trillion uh, QE program announced by the Fed. It seems like every week we get multi-trillion dollar QE programs uh, that are bigger than the programs that we had during the entirety of the period uh, subsequent to the 2008 financial crisis. Yet the Fed is rolling these things out on a weekly basis. And of course, you know, the market rallied as a result of the Fed promising another $2.3 trillion of money printing. And the Fed is going to be using all of this freshly printed cash to buy all the trash, right? They're going to be buying uh, junk bonds and muni bonds and you name it. If you can't sell it, the Fed is going to buy it from you. And obviously, the reason the Fed is stepping up to buy these bonds is so nobody has to sell them in the private sector to a legitimate buyer who will actually pay what the bonds are worth. You see, because nobody wants to write down these bonds. Nobody wants to accept the massive losses. So in order to pretend that the losses don't exist, the Federal Reserve is going to bail everybody out. You know, I was watching, too, on CNBC uh, later this afternoon, and one of the anchors there, I, I, I forget his name. I mentioned it on my Twitter. Uh, but, you know, he actually made the observation that, you know, since everybody is bailing out, right, everybody is getting bailed out, it's like there's nobody being bailed out. Because as long as we bail out everybody, then it's fair. Like he said that, you know, in 2008, it wasn't fair because only certain companies got bailed out. But now that everybody is getting bailed out, well, then it's fair, which, of course, it's not fair. And first of all, how can every company get bailed out? If everybody is being bailed out, who is doing the bailing? Who is paying for the bailout? See, everybody still thinks it's free because the Fed is printing the money. That means it's more expensive than ever. But it is not fair. You know, this guy was trying to say that, you know, corporations shouldn't be held accountable for all their debt because, after all, they had no idea that the coronavirus was going to happen. Of course. But they knew something could happen, if not the coronavirus, something. The fact that everybody was so levered up, you can't just give them a pass because not every company was in this condition. Not every company would need a bailout if the federal government and the Federal Reserve wasn't there. There are some companies that were responsible. Granted, there probably weren't many, but a lot of that is because of the Fed. If it wasn't for the Fed holding interest rates so low, companies wouldn't have so much debt and individuals would have a lot more savings. So it would be a lot easier for companies who didn't have enough reserves to raise it in the private capital markets because people would have savings that they could use 
to loan to companies that needed the money or who were selling equity. They could do secondary offerings and the private sector would be uh, able to finance it. But because of the Fed and all the bailouts and the QE of the past, we don't have the money. The companies are loaded up with debt. And that's why we're all vulnerable. But we can't just say, well, it's okay. We'll just bail everybody out as if these bailouts don't have a cost, as if we're not creating a moral hazard, which we are. It's even bigger uh, than the moral hazard uh, from uh, 2008. Look, why don't the people who need liquidity and have junk bonds why aren't they selling their bonds in the market? Somebody will buy them. The question is at what price? But there'll be a buyer. Let the people who bought junk bonds lose money. After all, they knew they were buying junk bonds, right? I mean, they were junk. They knew they were taking a risk. Why did people buy junk bonds when they could have bought AAA rated bonds, right? They could have taken less risk if they wanted to. Why didn't they? Well, because the junk bonds because they had more risk, they had a higher yield. So the people who didn't want that risk, they bought higher credit quality. And as a result, they got lower interest over the years. Meanwhile, the guys that wanted to gamble, they got all this extra interest over the years. Well, now is the payday. Right now is the downside of taking risk. But if the Federal Reserve bails out all the people with junk bonds, are they going to give back all those coupons that they received the last five or 10 years, right? They got all this extra money because they took extra risk. But now if we make them whole, because it's not fair that they lose money, what about all the people that passed on that higher yield that could have earned more money, but they didn't want to take a risk? Why are we punishing those guys? Why are we making the prudent bail out the reckless? Because that's what's happening when the Federal Reserve is going to create all this inflation, everybody who owns bonds is going to lose because inflation is going to destroy the value of everybody's bonds. So instead of the people that played it safe, right, and who bought quality bonds because they didn't want to take the risk, and so they took a lower return, right, now instead of those people being okay and just the people who gamble to get a higher return, instead of just those people having to now suffer the consequences of their riskier investment, now we punish everybody and we socialize all the losses by debasing the currency in which everybody's bonds are denominated. So we, we punish uh, the innocent along with the guilty. This is a horrible way uh, to run an economy. Yet this is what we're doing. And, you know, you have these people uh, saying, but, you know, how can we not do this, right? How can we let uh, businesses fail? How can we let people lose their jobs? You know, we just have to let it happen. That's how we do it. We just let it happen and we put our faith in the free market and in capitalism, not in central government planning, not in bureaucrats and central bankers. That is why we are in this mess. This is what they were saying in 2008. Oh, the government has to bail everybody out. No, they didn't. That is why I was screaming as loud as I could to, on any platform that would have me that it was a mistake. You know, that's why I got into that big fight with Neil Cavuto, which kicked me off of those Saturday shows because I was so upset that I got canceled on the special appearance, the live Saturday appearance when they were passing TARP. And I was the only guy that was against it. And I, I felt so strongly that the public needed to hear what I had to say because I knew that we were making a big mistake, that we were making a deal with the devil and that the devil was going to come to collect. And that's exactly what's about to happen. And I really wanted to say this. And I thought I was in a unique position to say it because I had predicted everything. And Cavuto knew I predicted anything. He credited me for having predicted it. But, you know, I, you know, we got into this argument and I, I never was on the shows again. But I was very passionate back then for a reason. People are about to find out how bad the consequences are because we didn't swallow the medicine in 2008. Yes, it would have tasted bad. And yes, it would taste even worse now if we swallowed it. But we got to do it because people will say, well, we just got to get through this crisis, right? Just get through this crisis and then we can do the right thing. But we'll never do the right thing because going through this crisis with more debt and more cheap money, right, means that we can, it's even harder 
to do the right thing. The easiest time it'll ever be to do the right thing is right now. Because every day we wait, the more we go into debt, the more money the Fed prints, right? The harder it is to do the right thing, not easier. So the sooner the better. We can't keep making excuses as to why we have to do this now, right? Even when, you know, when, when, when President Bush said we have to abandon capitalism to save it. No, we have to abandon socialism to save capitalism, not double down on socialism or now, you know, quadruple down or whatever we're doing, because what we are doing now is far more reckless, right? What the Fed is doing under Powell is by far worse than anything the Fed did under Greenspan, Bernanke, or Yellen. And what the Trump administration is doing and what this Congress is doing is far worse than what the presidents did uh, prior, Bush or Obama or those Congresses, right? So if you think that Trump is doing a good job, he is doing a horrible job, right? Because if you think Trump is doing a good job, then you got to think Obama did a great job and you got to think Bush did a great job because he's doing the same thing, making government bigger, which as I explained on my last podcast is the opposite. If you really want to help, you got to make government smaller, you got to recognize that government is a burden on an economy. When the economy is strong, you can afford the burden. When it's weak, you can't. So if you want to aid the recovery, then lower the burden of government. Cut government spending. Get rid of all these agencies and departments that are weighing us down. Instead, they're weighing us down more. And it's not the taxes that are important. Forget about taxes. It's spending. It's government spending. That's the cost of government. Not what it taxes, what it spends. Because we have to pay for that spending one way or another. And if we don't pay for it through taxation, we're going to pay through it through inflation. And we're about to pay for that in spades. And, you know, what I was just talking about, uh, the, the, the Fed. So Powell gave a little talk today, which I caught, uh, you know, later. I couldn't watch it live. I was doing an interview. And, and, but I listened to it uh, on YouTube after the fact. And, you know, one of the things that Powell said was that, well, you know, the Fed is only going to keep doing this stuff, right? This unconventional monetary policy until the economy no longer needs their help, right? Until the economy is back to normal, until we're on the road to recovery, the Fed is going to be there, right? Which means the Fed is always going to be there because as long as the Fed is doing what it's doing, the economy will never recover. We will never get back to normal so long as the Fed is perpetuating an abnormal situation. In fact, Powell had the nerve to say with a straight face, the guy didn't even crack a smile, right? He said that as soon as this emergency is over and things are back to normal, the Fed's going to take all these unconventional tools that they've been using and they're just going to put them away. Yeah, like in a lockbox, like, like Ben Bernanke put them away. That's the same lie that Ben Bernanke told. I called out Bernanke when he told it. I knew that the minute the Fed reached for these tools and used them, that they could never put them away. Because once you use these tools, you now have built an economy that is in constant need of those tools. You have to keep maintaining what you built, which is why I knew that we'd have all these QEs. And who knows how many now I've lost count. I mean, I guess we're rolling them all into QE4 because there's so many now. It's no point in, in, in keeping track of them. Pretty soon it'll look like the Super Bowl. Maybe we should have the QEs uh, with Roman numerals because we've long passed uh, the Rocky movies now as far as how many QEs. But the reason I knew that we were going to have all these QEs was because I understood that the Fed could never put away these tools. And here you have Ben Bernanke now coming out in 2020 saying that the Fed's going to put away these tools. How? The tools are actually breaking the economy more. So now you need to use the tools in an even bigger way because you made the mistake of using in the past. We need to blow up these tools. We need to throw away these tools so the Fed never uses them again. And yes, I know it's going to be difficult. Doing the right thing is always difficult. You know, they named this bailout bill, right? The CARES Act. Remember, I, I talked about that in the past about truth in legislating, right? Because they always name a bill the opposite of what the bill does, right? The Patriot Act was the Patriot Act, even though it was the most unpatriotic act uh, they've ever passed, right? So they, it usually, if you want to know the effect of a bill, look at the name and then 
Think of the opposite of that name, and that's what the bill is going to accomplish. So this is supposedly, you know, the CARES Act. Well, basically, the only people that care are the people who voted against the CARES Act. Because, you know, the congressmen want to show that they care. Yeah, they care by spending other people's money. That's not caring. And it's not even other people's money. It's other people's purchasing power because the Fed is creating all the money, right? And just doling out freshly printed money doesn't show how much you care. It shows how little you care. If you actually cared and you cared about the country, you would level with the voters and tell them the truth. See, these guys only care about one thing, getting reelected. So that's what they're that, that's what this is about. It's about caring about yourself, right? They're selfish. They want to get reelected. That's what they care about. And so they're BSing the public with this bill. If they wanted to do a good thing, uh, they would uh, level with the public and tell the truth. In fact, that's what Donald Trump should be doing. That's what he should have done when he was elected. And I said that he should have leveled with the public that he inherited a big, fat, ugly bubble and he was going to deflate it. He wasn't going to make it bigger that we were going to deal with it, that the buck was going to stop with him, that we were going to drain the swamp. Instead, he's helping to drain the country. I mentioned that uh, on my podcast on Tuesday that the national debt was getting close to 24 trillion. It was 23.9 trillion. Well, yesterday it went through 24 trillion, right? We had, we've added like 100 billion, whatever, in a day or two, right? The national debt is exploding. And Trump will add more debt in his four years than Bush did in eight, right? And people were critical of the debts from Bush. Now, I don't think that we're going to add more debt than Obama did in eight. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, we don't, you know, we, we don't we don't have that much time left in Trump's first term. But if Trump is reelected, which I think is a long shot, I mean, it might happen, uh, but I think it's more likely that he won't be. But if he is, Trump is going to add more debt in his eight years than Obama and Bush did in their 16 years combined. And it's not even going to be close the amount of debt uh, that that we're going to have to create, because, you know, the more the Fed interferes with the free market with these bailouts and stimulus, the worse the economy is going to get. I mean, the recovery was bad under Obama, right? That's why Trump was elected. That was the weak recovery. This one is going to be much weaker, where it's fact no one will be even pretend it's a recovery, unless you think that recovering from a depression to a recession is something to, to brag about. It's not going to be. Uh, and, and so the Fed is going to be constantly in the market, and they're constantly going to be making the situation worse. The only thing that's going to stop the Fed, there's going to be one thing that's going to stop the Fed, and that's going to be the collapse in the dollar, right? So at some point, one of two things are going to happen. Either the Fed is going to keep on printing until the dollar is worthless, right? In which case, it doesn't matter how many dollars they print, right? If you can't buy anything with the money, then what good is printing it, right? If nobody can buy anything with the checks they get from the government, then it doesn't matter if they get checks. Remember, I said that when my father wrote his book in The Biggest Con, and he was quoting from William Proxmire in the congressional record, who bragged about the, the printing press and said that they would never have to cut Social Security benefits. And the reason was he said that we have a printing press and we can print all the Social Security benefits we need. They may not be worth anything when the recipients receive them, but we're going we're gonna to print the money. So what good is a worthless Social Security check? Does it matter if you're on Social Security and you don't get your money or you get your money, but you can't buy anything with it? So one thing that will stop the Fed is the fact that the money they print the money until it's worthless. The other thing that might stop the Fed is because before it gets to that point, the Fed stares into the abyss and sees the hyperinflation looking back at it and finally has the epiphany that hyperinflation is actually worse than the alternative that they've been trying to avoid. And then they belatedly close the barn doors, right? All the horses are, you know, long gone, but they really let interest rates go sky high. Uh, they shrink their balance sheet and they just let the chips fall where they may and everything completely implodes. But that's it. Either they, they continue and push the envelope until they destroy the currency completely or they pull back in time, but the economy is still collapsed because now the whole house of cards uh, comes completely tumbling down. But that's what's going to stop the Fed. It's not going to be a return to normal. There's going to be nothing normal about the economy uh, when we get back to it. Now, earlier today, in addition to the news 
uh, of the new QE program. In fact, before this news was announced, although they almost came out simultaneously, but I'm pretty sure that the jobless claims came out uh, before we heard about the new QE. So anyway, uh, the consensus was that we were going to have about 5 million new claims for unemployment benefits. Because last month we had uh, 6.648 million. So people thought, well, there's no way. I mean, not last month, last week, excuse me, last week. And I guess people thought, well, there's no way we can have a week worse than the week uh, that we just had, right? Because that week was, you know, that week was so bad. And so that week was reported at 6.648 million. Well, we actually revised it up to 6.867 billion. And this week was not quite as bad as last week, right? But almost, it was 6.606 million unemployment claims. So almost as bad as the number that we got uh last month, last week. And of course, if you add the upward revision, which was better than 200,000 jobs, if you just assume that that 200,000 was on this week, then the new claims that we just found out about exceeded the claims that we found out about last week. In fact, I think now it's over 16 million uh, people that have filed for unemployment benefits in the last three weeks. In fact, I had the number written down here. Yeah, my son tweeted it out. Spencer, a lot of people are following him on Twitter now. He's got over 5,000 followers. 16.78 million uh, unemployment claims in the last three weeks. That is better than 45% of all of the unemployment claims filed during the 18 months of the Great Recession in 2000, from 2007 through you know 2009. And we've done 45% of that in just three weeks. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. And of course, a lot more is coming. This is not the end of it. We're going to continue to get unemployment claims filed. And one of the things we know, based on how generous the government is being with other people's money to the unemployed, because so many people are being paid more not to work than to work, nobody is going to be anxious to return to work. I mean, why? Why should you return to work to get less money than when you weren't working? especially when it costs you money to get back and forth to work. You know, it, it takes time out of your day. You're in traffic. You know, who the hell wants to deal with that? I mean, most people only work because they want to get paid. If they can get paid and skip the work, well, then that's what they'll do, especially if they can get paid more not to work than working. What kind of idiot would want to go back to work if he can earn more money not working at all? So the unemployed are going to stay unemployed for a long, long time. It's going to be a political battle now between now and the election. Everybody's in a bidding war for the vote of the unemployed. So nobody's going to want to take away that gravy train. So those benefits are going to be extended continuously, at least until the uh, November election. Oh, by the way, so Bernie Sanders just dropped out of the race. Uh, And so that's uh, new information. But, you know, I figure that Bernie Sanders probably kind of surveyed the landscape and figured, why even run? What's the point? I've already won. I mean, regardless of who wins the White House, the president is going to be a democratic socialist. I mean, Trump is a socialist and Biden's a socialist. I mean, I don't know, maybe Biden doesn't even realize what he is at this point, uh, but whoever's going to be controlling a Biden, they're all socialists. So I guess Bernie's like, okay, my work is done. I've already won. My platform is being adopted even faster than I thought it would, would be adopted, right? So, I mean, what's the point? I mean, who needs Bernie Sanders? We got Donald Trump. It's the same thing, right? We're getting the socialism. There are no capitalists left. It's all degrees of socialism, right? Everybody wants to bury capitalism. Nobody wants to defend it. Uh, The only question is, you know, what brand of socialism do they want to replace it with? Oh, I also, I want to check, because again, like I did last Thursday, we get the balance sheet numbers that come out at 4.30 
every Thursday, balance sheet and the money supply. So I haven't seen these numbers yet. So I'm going to take a gander at them live uh, on my podcast. So first, let's take a look at the balance sheet. I mean, I need a drum roll, right, to release these numbers. Okay, well, hey, it's actually not as bad as I thought. The balance sheet was only up $271.5 billion on the week. So that's only about four months worth of QE3 in a week. Oh, well, that's an improvement. Uh, so the balance sheet stands at $6.083 trillion, up from the $5.182 trillion the prior week when the balance sheet expanded by $557.3 billion. Now, I'm sure that we're going to see an even bigger expansion next week. In fact, I think next week's going to set a record. Right. I think with this new QE announcement that came out today, obviously, see, the Fed is doing this for a reason. Right. The Fed is buying all these bonds, not because they want to, but because they have to. And so I'm sure the balance sheet is blown, you know, ballooning uh, based on this. And again, if the Fed is going to go into the market and, and put a bid in above the market and say, hey, we're going to buy all your junk bonds, we're going to buy all your muni bonds and we're going to overpay. We're going to pay more than they're worth, which, of course, is what they're doing. That's why they're doing it right? Because they don't want people to have to sell into the market. Uh, everybody is going to sell. What kind of idiot wouldn't sell to a buyer who is overpaying? And especially if you realize that what you need to do as soon as you get your money is get rid of your dollars and buy some gold, right? Because obviously the Fed is destroying the value of the dollar uh, by buying out everybody's bonds. And so the fact that they did this, you know, that they are being forced to buy these bonds to artificially prop them up, to artificially suppress interest rates and create a false illusion uh, that the economy is in fact stronger uh, than it really is. But of course, all of this is, is doing great damage. If And I didn't really finish this point earlier, but if the Fed wasn't there and if the Fed hadn't been there in the past, right, levering everybody up, number one, there wouldn't be nearly as many companies that would be in trouble now because they would have the balance sheets to survive a couple of months, you know, with minimal revenue, they could do it, right? Um, they could temporarily lay off some workers. And if those workers had savings because there was a real interest rate and they saved money and they weren't being taxed so much when they were working and they weren't buying everything on credit cards and they didn't have all this kind of debt that the government subsidized, right? Individuals could go a month or two without a paycheck because they would have savings too. It would be no problem. A free market-based economy could handle the coronavirus. A healthy economy would not get sick based on this virus. It's a sick economy. That, that is the problem. We were sick before the virus, right? Maybe the virus got us sicker, but we were already wounded. Like it's fitting that this virus, right? The people who are really dying are the old and the sick, right? Well, we got an old sick economy. That's the problem. We don't have a healthy, viable economy that can withstand a problem. We have a sick economy. It's it, it's we're it's we're just like the people who are more vulnerable to the coronavirus. That I mean, the, the economy itself is pretty much uh, a, a an example of what's happening on a smaller scale to the individuals who are vulnerable because they're infirm, because they're in bad health, because maybe they have other diseases, or they're they smoked a lot, or they're overweight. That's our economy, right? We're, you know, we're overweight and we've been smoking. We're not healthy. We haven't been exercising. So it doesn't matter what's going to happen. But if we had a healthy economy with lots of savings, then most companies would be fine. Most workers would be fine. And those companies that really needed money would be able to tap into the private markets. They would sell equity. They would borrow money. It would be fine. It's only because the Fed created a bubble that it's not fine. And the solution isn't to try to make the bubble bigger. The solution is to finally admit that you've done it wrong and, and, and to go cold turkey, right? If you're on a drug habit, right, the sooner you recognize you're, you have a habit and you go cold turkey and quit, the better. You can't say, oh, I can't go cold turkey because it's gonna, I'm going to go through withdrawal. Yes, you got to go through withdrawal. You got to get these toxins out of your system. We got to get these monetary toxins out of the financial system. We have to build a real economy that can replace this string of bubbles that the Fed's been uh, inflating with cheap money. And now I want to get to the money supply. Oh, well, look at this thing here. So yeah, last week we uh, had 436.1 billion 
increase in the money supply. Uh, and that was a big number. Uh, it was revised slightly lower to $435.7 billion, So that's still a very big number. Uh, the last week was a little bit uh, better, although still horrific. Uh, $370.8 billion increase in the money supply in one week. So the two-week increase now is about $800 billion, almost a trillion dollars of new money freshly printed, right, inflated, injected right into the economy in a span of two weeks. Now, again, I'm sure that next week's numbers are going to be even bigger, you know, based on what the Fed announced today. So we're going to see a big increase in the balance sheet and a big increase in, uh, in, in the money supply. And, of course, we know that the rest of the world is unloading uh, their U.S. dollar-denominated debt, too. Right. That's another reason the Fed has to buy everything, because foreign governments are now bailing out of treasuries and other U.S. dollar denominated debt. And it's not only the foreign governments, it's our own government. I mentioned this before, but it's even more relevant now. The Social Security so-called trust funds are big sellers of U.S. treasuries. You now have almost 17 million people who were paying Social Security payroll taxes three weeks ago, who are not paying now. That money was going to the Social Security recipients. Well, where is that money coming from now? If all those workers aren't paying in, where's the money coming from that's going out? Well, it's coming from uh, the trust funds that are liquidating their treasuries. And who is buying the treasuries? Well, the Federal Reserve. Nobody is talking about that this is a QE bailout of Social Security, but that's exactly what is happening. Social Security is being bailed out by the Fed because if the Fed wasn't buying all these bonds, who would buy them? Nobody. Bond prices would be collapsing. Yields would be rising. The government would be defaulting on its obligations, not just on the Social Security, but on its bonded obligations. So it's a massive bailout. And so the Fed is having to monetize this. And everybody could see that. Everybody can see that. So the the dollar index had another bad day today, um, but you know it's still up there. It was down 0.58, so we're at 99.5 uh, is the current level of the dollar index. I mean, we are uh, grinding out a top, and really this process began, uh, you know, kind of at the end of 2014, early 2015. So we've been spending five years, kind of making a top in the dollar index. Although uh, some of the other currencies, the smaller currencies have, have made new lows. But if you just look at the, 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 the euro, the yen, the Swiss franc, the pound, these big currencies, the dollar really hasn't gained much ground against these currencies uh, during those five years. It's really been building up a big, big top. The real rally in the dollar happened in 2013, 2014, uh, 2015. That was the big rally. That's when everybody... Uh, at once concluded that the Fed saved us with QE instead of doomed us, that they could normalize interest rates, that they could shrink the balance sheet, all this nonsense that everybody believed. And based on that nonsense, they bid up the dollar. And, and, and that's where the gains happened. And that's what created a lot of problems for the emerging market economies that they're still struggling with, this, this overvalued dollar. But they're about to get major relief uh, when the dollar falls through the floor, which is exactly what it's going to happen. And you can see that in the price of gold. The price of gold continues to move higher. In fact, today, gold futures hit a new seven and a half year high. We traded above uh, 1745, I believe, in the futures market before pairing back. I think the cash market was up about $40. Looks like we closed around uh, 1685 on the day. But you know, we are just buying time before we have an explosive rally in the price of gold. I mean, it is coming almost any day. The gold stocks are now starting to recover. Look at Newmont Mining. Newmont Mining was up 13.5% today. It closed at a new 52-week high, right? One of the only gold stocks, actually, that is making new 52-week highs. It's not the only one higher, you know, up on the year. But even though gold's been strong, I mean, gold stocks have, been pulled back. In fact, now, after today's rally, even the average gold stock is doing better uh, than the Dow or the S&P or way, way better than, you know, the Russell 2000, um, stuff like that. But Newman is up about 32% on the year. I think it's the third best performing stock 
in the S&P 500 year to date. Now, it's even hard to imagine that there's actually two stocks that beat it. I forget. They might both be uh, biotech stocks and it might have something to do with uh, some type of coronavirus uh, vaccine or maybe that were. I'm not really sure. But there's two stocks that somehow managed to beat Newmont. But I have a feeling uh, that by the time the year is over, the Newmont will be the number one uh, performing stock in the S&P. And probably of all the stocks in the S&P 500, it's probably the most under-owned. In fact, what might be happening now is a lot of people who are closet indexers or even who are indexers, but they decided, you know, hey, let's forget about Newmont. I mean, why have Newmont, right? I mean, it's a gold stock. Who gives a damn about that, right? So I bet a lot of people that are trying to beat the S&P have a zero weighting to Newmont. And now maybe they're underperforming the S&P because they don't have any Newmont because it's such a powerful performer. So maybe some of these guys are saying, you know, I better add some Newmont. I better buy some Newmont. Uh, mining. And so maybe that's going on. And that's one of the reasons. But there are a lot of other gold stocks too, big ones that were up 10% today, uh, even some of the small ones. So this was a pretty big jump uh, in gold stocks. But as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet. And by the way, you know, I'm mentioning Newmont, uh, you know, full disclosure, I own a bunch of Newmont personally. We own Newmont in our funds. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I'm not making a specific recommendation. I'm just talking about Newmont because it's up and I'm letting everybody know that I own it just so you know that, uh, I own it personally and our clients own it. Uh, but you know, it's not a recommendation. You want a recommendation, call up your Pacific capital, talk to a broker, you know, make sure that you're suitable for speculative investments and we'll give you recommendations or better yet, just buy my gold fund if it's suitable. Uh, go to uh, europacificfunds.com and buy some or call up my brokers at Europe Pacific uh, Capital and look at uh, my gold fund or any of my funds that are rapidly, rapidly uh, improving. You know, if you look at, let's say, my value fund, for example, which started the year uh, near the bottom of the pack, uh, as of now, uh, and certainly after today, it will be the number one performing a mutual fund in its category of, I think, 330 funds. It's number one year to date. I think it's outperformed the index uh, by about uh, 20% on the year after today. I mean, on, on, year, on the year, just in the last three months, it's crazy. Uh, and that's with, you know, most, you know, gold stocks down, except for Newmont and, you know, a couple others. Uh, but, it, you know, it's only got an allocation to gold stocks. Even our non-gold stocks are beating the, uh, the index by a pretty uh, handy margin. Uh, we're, I think, in the top 5%. We'll check uh, uh, over the last three years. You know, Morningstar recently raised my four-year performance from one star to four stars. In fact, both the dividend payers fund and the value fund now have four stars uh, over the past uh, three years. It's my expectation that at the end of this year, they'll have five stars uh, for both the, the three and five-year time windows. In fact, I think they'll be number one. Again, no guarantees. That's just my opinion. And before you buy any of these funds, read the prospectus, make sure you understand the risks. You know, but people used to make fun of me. Oh, Peter, you know, your funds are underperforming. Yes, they were because I was biding my time waiting for an outcome. And now it's just started. This is just the beginning. You know, I think given over the number of few years now are going to go by, I, we're just going to blow away all the funds in our category. And I think, you know, we're still underperforming the U.S. market since inception, but that's not going to last long either. I think we're going to quickly regain all of the underperformance because we were being compared to a bubble. How do you outperform a bubble? I mean, you can't. The only thing you can do is sit out the bubble and wait for it to pop. And then everybody who doesn't know it's a bubble loses all of their money. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, I feel badly for people who threw in the towel over the last several years. I mean, I knew they were going to win the fight. I tried to keep everybody in the ring, telling them that we had it in the bag. We were going to win this thing, right, to stick it out. Uh, and most of you did. Most of you did. Congratulations to all of my clients who stuck with the strategy throughout the lean years because you're about to get paid big time. I think we're going to make more money now than I thought five, 10 years ago. Who knew that they would kick the can down the road this far? Who knew the bubble would get this big? And all the reckless and terrible things I knew the Fed was going to do, they've even exceeded my expectations, right? So sit back. I mean, it's horrible. This is a horror show. For the country. I mean, it really, I mean, every day, I mean, I am in a bad mood. I, I hate this. I hate what's happening to my country. I hate that everybody is agreeing to do something that I know is a disaster. 
I mean, think about how frustrating this is to have to watch these idiots one after another coming up on CNBC, saying a bunch of nonsense, knowing they're all wrong. Yet that's who Trump is listening to. He's watching. He's listening to these clowns. These guys are just trying to save their asses. I'm not. Look, I am going to make more money because the government is doing the wrong thing than I would make if the government did the right thing. But you know what? I don't care. I got plenty of money. I got all the money I need. I'd rather the government do the right thing. I don't want gold to go to $20,000 an ounce. I'd rather it not go that high, but I will make more money when it does, right? I mean, I am talking against my interests, right? I want the government to do the right thing, even though I benefit more as an investor by them doing the wrong thing. But, you know, my investment strategy is not based on what I want to happen, but what I think is going to happen. And I'm confident that we're going to continue to do the wrong thing because doing the right thing is too hard. And not only that, a lot of people don't even know what the right thing is. So you can't do the right thing if you don't know what the right thing is. If you think the wrong thing is the right thing, well, obviously you're going to keep doing that until you finally figure it out. And people you know, should have figured it out after 08, but they didn't. So now they're going to have to have an even bigger crisis and hopefully they'll figure it out eventually. Hopefully maybe I'll be a part of waking people up to that reality. And if they don't believe me, eventually they're going to believe the returns, right? When they see, you know, oh my God, look at all the money Schiff is making. Uh, then maybe they'll listen to me because they say, oh, well, who cares what you say? Because, you know, you're not making any money. Yeah, I wouldn't make any money because I wasn't dumb enough to buy into a bubble. That's why. And yeah, I'm not trying to be a trader. I've never presented myself to clients that, hey, I'm going to trade this bubble for you. I'm going to try to make money in the short run. No, all I've ever said to people was, this is going to end badly. People are going to lose a lot of money when the music stops. So if you don't want to dance to this music, if you don't want to get caught without a chair when it stops playing, I have a portfolio for you. I've got a plan that will allow you to survive this financial catastrophe that I know is going to happen because I can see all the mistakes that are being made which ensure that it is going to happen. And, you know, the same thing is, is true with, with Bitcoin, right? If I'm going to talk about big bubbles, then I got to also include Bitcoin because people were, you know, making fun of me too because, oh, I didn't buy any Bitcoin. Yeah, I didn't buy any Bitcoin for the same reason I didn't buy into any of the bubbles because I knew that it was a bubble. And, yeah, you know, that's the thing with bubbles, that the people who don't know their bubbles and buy into them until they really pop, they look smart. And the people who know that it's a bubble and they avoid buying it because they know better, they're the ones who look like fools because they didn't make all the money. Well, in the long run, it's the people who didn't know they were in a bubble who are going to lose all the money, right? Now, there are some people who are good traders that got into Bitcoin early and who have already sold, right? Anybody who was smart, who got into Bitcoin early is long gone at least with a lot of their money. I don't mind if someone put, you know, five grand into Bitcoin and it turned into a million and then they sold, you know, 500,000 and, and they let the rest ride. You know, hey, I'm playing with the house's money. Let's see what happens. Okay, fine, right? You, you were smart enough to take your winnings and, and just leave a little bit of the house's money out on the table and just free roll, fine. But the people who bought in early and who haven't sold anything or even worse, the people who bought in with a little early, and then when it went way up, they put in more money, right? Like they, they took out a loan on their home to put in more money or borrowed on their credit cards, right? The people who averaged up into this bubble, right? They're the biggest fools of all because not only did they not know it was a bubble, but they weren't even smart enough to cash out. And then they bought more. They were part of the, the pyramid on the way up. And then it's going to come collapsing on the way down. And, you know, Bitcoin... Did Bitcoin go up today? No, I mean, Bitcoin is what, $7,300 as I'm talking? Uh, you know, the high was still $20,000 uh, the, at the end of 2017. Gold keeps going up and up and up. It keeps making new highs. It's made new highs in every currency. Is Bitcoin making a new high? No, it's not. It's not making new highs. Despite all the money printing, despite all the QE, despite the stock market carnage, despite the coronavirus, no matter what happens, Bitcoin is going nowhere. So when are the people who owning Bitcoin going to stop hoping and actually wake up to reality? And you know, what's going to wake up a lot of people to the Bitcoin bubble 
is going to be gold. And I've been saying this for years, and I still think this is likely to be the truth, right? Why did Bitcoin become so popular in the first place? The reason was, and I believe, is that gold peaked out in 2011 at 1900, right? Despite the fact that the Fed kept printing money, right, doing QEs, and the balance sheet was expanding, and the gold price got ahead of itself, right? It got all the way up to 1900, had a huge run. And then it started to go down, which was frustrating people that were buying gold and people that were buying silver, which went down even more. Silver was 50 bucks in 2011. It's barely over $15 now, right? It's way down. And so there are a lot of frustrated guys buying gold and silver, right? And all of a sudden they see Bitcoin, right? Which people are saying, oh, this is the new gold. This is digital gold, right? It's better than gold. It's going to take gold's market share. And they see that Bitcoin is going up and they're like, hey, yeah, you know, I can make money with Bitcoin. I'm not making any money with my gold, but digital gold seems to be doing well. And so as people started to buy into what they thought was digital gold, then that was a self-perpetuating prophecy because it was a very thin market, easily manipulated. So now the price of fool's gold, Bitcoin is going up and that attracted more buyers. And in fact, a lot of people then were saying the reason that gold's not going up is because of Bitcoin. Because after all, why would you buy gold when you could buy Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is better than gold, right? Gold's got no utility. Bitcoin beats gold every way from Sunday, right? Everybody was saying that Bitcoin is better than gold. They would come up with all these charts, why Bitcoin is superior money to gold, all a bunch of nonsense, all marketing PR. But as long as gold was going down and Bitcoin was going up, it worked. And then, of course, when Bitcoin really took off, right, in 2017, Right. That's when all of a sudden CNBC started covering it nonstop. Like once it hit five, ten thousand and ran up to twenty thousand, they came out with a ticker. I mean, they were all in on it and they were just pounding the table, guest after guest, Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. Uh, of course, they wouldn't let me on. In fact, it's almost a coincidence that when they really stopped having me on is when they really started touting Bitcoin. Because I think the first time they had Bitcoin, when it was really like, you know, three thousand and they were all really skeptical. Uh, they had me on to talk about it, and I debated uh, Brian Kelly, and they all kind of agreed that I was right. I mean, interestingly enough, they, they, you know, but then of course, once Bitcoin went up, uh, then they, you know, they stopped calling me, and then you know, they started worshiping BK and all these guys that were uh, Bitcoin uh, fanatics. But once that happened, all of a sudden, a lot of the hedge funds, or not a lot of them, but some people in the hedge fund world and in the institutional world, got caught up in all the hype. And these weren't hard money guys. These weren't the guys that were buying gold and silver because of QE. But then they saw it going up and it was easy money and they just wanted to jump, you know, join the parade. They didn't really care about the parade. They just knew that it was happening and they wanted in on the action. And so that was like the peak of the mania when you got all these, that money, some institutional money finally came in and it really became prime time and everybody started talking about Bitcoin. It's been all downhill from there. But I think what's going to happen now as gold really starts to shine, right? Once gold, you know, takes out, I think, 2000, right? It takes out the 1900 peak from 2011. And this bull market is really, really going. And gold is going much higher, right? I've been saying that my price target for gold is one-to-one -one with the Dow, right? The Dow is 20, what, 23, 24,000 right now. So as long as the Dow doesn't go down, that's where gold's going. Now, the Dow can come down to 10,000 and gold can go to 10,000 and there you go. But the Dow can go to 50,000 and so can gold. But believe me, if you own the Dow Jones when it's 50,000 and the price of gold is 50,000, you ain't rich, right? People who own the Dow at 50,000 when gold is 50,000 an ounce are going to be broke, right? <laughs> so don't, don't wish for a 50,000 Dow and 50,000 gold price unless you own gold and unless you own gold stocks, which is what I do and which is what I recommend other people do. But my point is that once the price of gold blows through that, that number and gold doesn't just make new highs in euros and yen and Canadian dollars and Aussie dollars and South African rounds and British pounds and all the other currencies that gold keeps making new record highs in. Once gold is making new record highs in dollars as well as gold. You see all these people that try to say, hey, the dollar is strong and gold. They're both strong at the same time. That's not true. If gold is going up, the dollar is weak, not strong. 
Now, you can say that the dollar is less weak than the euro and the yen if those currencies are losing more value in terms of gold than the dollar is. But as long as gold is going up in dollars, the dollar is not strong. It's simply less weak than other fiat currencies. But ultimately, it's the dollar that's going to be the weakest of the major currencies. Once this short-term liquidity deal is over, and it may already be over, the dollar is going to drop like a stone, and it's not going to stop. There's going to be nothing to put a floor beneath the dollar. And so the price of gold has no ceiling. And as the price of gold continues to move up, people are going to be buying gold. There's going to be no reason to settle for a cheap digital imitation of gold. Fool's gold, right? Nobody's going to want to buy Bitcoin when the real gold is doing so well. And silver, as a matter of fact. So I think the big breakout in gold and silver is not going to be a catalyst for a moonshot in Bitcoin. It's going to be a catalyst for Bitcoin to come collapsing back down to earth. So Bitcoin, guys, be careful what you wish for. Those of you who want the price of gold to go up because you think the price of Bitcoin will go up even more, you're wrong. Bitcoin stole gold's thunder for a few years, and the party was raging as long as gold was in a bear market. But now that gold's in a bull market, and as more people realize that it's in a bull market and they want to participate in that bull market, there's no need to, to waste your time with Bitcoin. And eventually what's going to happen is the people who are in Bitcoin instead of gold, as they see the price of gold and silver continuing to go up as Bitcoin goes sideways to down, eventually they're going to see the light and they're going to want to sell their fool's gold and buy some real gold. The problem is there may not be any fools left. So the smart thing is to sell out now. I've been warning you guys about this. I'll do it again. Get out of Bitcoin and any of those other cryptocurrencies now and buy gold and silver while you can still afford it. Call up, go to Shift Gold. You know, we even have the deal. We work with BitPay. We will make it easy for you to unload your cryptocurrencies now on some other fool who doesn't watch my podcast and who hasn't got the message and buy some real gold at Shift Gold. And at a minimum, at a minimum, like I said earlier, get out your profits, cash out. Don't, don't lose everything. Don't be that idiot that loses it all. You want to play with the house's money a little bit? Okay. But take the profit off, take the cream off the top and buy some real money. What do you, what's the worst case that happens? Bitcoin goes to the moon and you don't own as much of it. Oh, you'll still be rich. If Bitcoin goes to a million, it's okay if you sell half now because the other half, you'll still be rich. But what if Bitcoin goes to zero and you don't sell anything? How does that going to make you feel? And what if gold goes to five, 10,000? What if silver goes to $200 an ounce and you don't have any silver because all you got is Bitcoin? So take something off the top. But even if that's not you, even if you're one of these guys that didn't buy in early, that you had the good sense not to buy it early, but then you got greedy and jumped in at the ties. Cut your losses. Just get out. You'll make back your losses in gold and silver. That's the best way to make back the money you lost in Bitcoin while you still have money left in Bitcoin. Because if you, if you ride Bitcoin all the way down to the bottom, you'll have no money left to make back your losses. If you can sell your Bitcoin now with a 30% loss or a 50% loss, the half you have left has a lot of value. Put that into silver. Put it into gold. Put it into gold stocks. Buy my gold fund. You want to gamble on a dollar crisis, on hyperinflation? There is so much more upside potential in my gold fund than in cryptocurrencies with less downside risk. It's a better risk reward. It's a better gamble. So do yourself a favor right? and you know, call up Shift Gold or call up your Pacific Capital. Go to yourpacificfunds.com. Get rid of that garbage. Get some real gold or get some gold mining companies that are gold mines. They call them gold mines for a reason. They got lots of gold that they're going to mine in the future at much, much higher prices than getting now. Anyway, let me just wish everybody a uh, happy Passover, a uh, happy Easter. We got no markets tomorrow. It's Good Friday. You know, we're trying to have a Seder at my house here. It's very, you know, ironic, you know, you know, we're, we're having a Seder when there's a plague. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the coronavirus uh, passes over our house uh, so far so good. Uh, but we're doing what we can here uh, to celebrate. We actually celebrate uh, both holidays, uh, but, you know, more, more uh, Pesach than, uh, than Easter. But, you know, the kids like 
like that. I, you know, I mean, we get Christmas trees too. I mean, I'm not that Jewish that I can't, um, uh, you know, have fun uh, with these holidays in a secular way. I mean, I'm not very religious, uh, but I enjoy uh, celebrating a, a lot of these holidays. And I'm sure everybody who is listening to me is going to make the best. I mean, normally holidays are about families getting together. And this time it's not happening, that the family is only your nuclear family. Nope, no families are really getting together. Uh, but I'm glad that I can be a part of everybody's holiday uh, by doing these, these podcasts. And I hope people continue to listen to them. And more importantly, spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family members when you contact them these holidays, uh, digitally, online, through social media, say, hey, have you listened to the Peter Schiff show? Do you have any idea? Because if people get their news from the mainstream media or their financial news from the CNBCs, they are completely clueless. I mean, talk about the blind leading the blind. As I've been saying, the only thing that's spreading faster uh, than COVID-19 uh, is ignorance. And I'm the cure for that. I've got the vaccine for economic ignorance. If you have a daily dose of Peter Schiff, right, you'll be immune uh, to all that nonsense that is being spewed in the mainstream media. And you still have time to save your portfolio, to save your retirement, because it's going to be destroyed. Again, who is going to pay for this $2.3 trillion stimulus uh, QE program that was announced today and all the other ones that have been announced in the past and that are about to be uh, in the future? You know, there's an old poker saying that if you're at a poker table and you're in a game and you don't know who the patsy is, it's you, right? Well, the same applies here. The average American who doesn't know who the patsy is, doesn't know who's going to pay for this, it's him, right? The guy that can least afford it. That's the irony here. It's the average American, the middle class, that is going to be eviscerated to inflation. Their life savings are going to be destroyed. Their pensions, their Social Security benefits, their annuities, the value of their wages. I mean, people who have a lot of real assets, who borrowed money to buy real assets, not consumer goods, they'll still be rich assuming the government doesn't take all their money uh, through taxation and confiscation, which is not outside the realm of possibility, because when things get really bad, uh, the government is going to vilify the people who aren't broke, uh, going to blame it on the speculators, on the capitalists, on the price gougers. Who knows what kind of crazed windfall profit taxes uh, lie in America's future? So I don't know. I mean, everybody could become broke as a result of this. That's one of the reasons that I'm in Puerto Rico. Because at least I mitigate that risk somewhat because I have zero capital gains taxes. I have the 4% income tax and it's locked in. They can't raise my taxes till 2035. And I think that's plenty of time for this whole crisis to come to an end. And I think I'm going to make, I mean, I don't even know how much I'm going to make. I mean, I could make trillions because if we have hyperinflation, I mean, it, it doesn't even matter. It's all monopoly money. But I know that my wealth relative to everybody else's is going to increase dramatically over the years ahead. That's my belief. And I don't want the government taxing it away because when you have massive inflation, any income tax or any capital gains tax actually becomes an income tax or not even an income tax, a, a, a confiscation of your assets. Because let's say inflation makes the cost of living go up tenfold and your portfolio goes up eightfold. You're actually down 20%. But when you sell your stocks that are eight times what you paid, the government says, oh, you made all this money. And let's say the capital gains tax is 70 or 80%, right? They're taxing that gain, but it's not a gain. You didn't even make money. You didn't even keep pace with inflation. So what the government is doing is using inflation to seize your money. They're taxing your principal, not your income, not your gain, which is really unconstitutional because the 16th Amendment allows Congress to tax the gains on your assets, not the assets itself, but through combining income taxes with inflation, the government creates phony gains that aren't real. And then what they end up doing is confiscating your principal. They're not taxing your gains. So who knows what's going to happen uh, there. But all I can do for most people, if they're not going to move to Puerto Rico, is at least position yourself to beat inflation. At least make sure that if prices go up tenfold, your portfolio goes up 15-fold or 20-fold or more. And that's what I think is going to happen for people following my advice. Again, there's no guarantee I can be completely wrong. Maybe those fools on CNBC are the ones that got it right. But anybody who's been objectively listening to what I've been saying the past 10 years and what these clowns have been saying right, is clear who understands what's going on, who's got it right, and who's going to win in the end. There's that old saying 
right? Slow and steady wins the race, right? It's the, it's the tortoise, not the hare. Well, I'm the tortoise when it comes to economics, and I am going to win this race. And I think anybody uh, who's in my corner who is riding along with me uh, will be a winner as well. 